The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme today. We're bringing you highlights from Prime Minister's questions as Rishi Sunak faces off against the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. But we're also um, at the delightful point of the one of the most colourful parts of the advent calendar of strikes that we've been say, paying such close attention to um, on the Bloomberg terminal. Uh, so today we have, it's the second of the first 48-hour strike by RMT rail workers, so disruption on the railways. Uh, we've also got disruption to Royal Mail um, as postal workers are on strike as well. And uh, from tomorrow then, the nurses join them in as well. Yes, bus drivers and baggage handlers striking on Friday and Saturday. And it looks like driving instructors are pretty much uh, striking for the entire Christmas period. So they'll be losing a lot of money, although perhaps having a bit of uh, nice time off as well. Well, I mean, yeah, it depends on which way you want to look at it. It's interesting, though, to see how public opinion is uh, shaping up during this period as well, though. The latest Kantar poll looking at support for strikers across the different sectors that are taking industrial action. Uh, nurses have the highest support, perhaps unsurprisingly, 54% of the public supporting um, their strike action, followed by ambulance workers at 50% support, firefighters at 48 railway workers at 40%. So 40% supporting, 50% opposing their strike action, least support driving test examiners just 31% I wonder if that's because people don't like taking their driving test and thus have yeah. a generally unfavourable opinion of them and also yeah driving tests are very expensive aren't they so I wonder if people feel like oh they've already got enough money but having said that of course train tickets are very expensive but I think probably if people feel a lot of that doesn't filter through to the to okay. the staff themselves but interesting to see what this strike over Christmas does for support if it goes ahead I think there's a chance that they could all end up calling it off just in time for those Christmas strikes but if they don't then I think disrupting Christmas itself uh, it's going to be it's going to be pretty unpopular with a lot of people. Yeah, and we're even look we're seeing that play out in the front pages today as well. You know, outrage in some papers at particularly the Sun at Mick Lynch from the RMT union as well. He's spoken before about how he's used to becoming a lightning rod for criticism during industrial action. Um, a different poll from Savanta Comrades showing that fifty six percent of the public saying that railway workers should not take industrial action during the holiday period. That support has been slipping eight points since October. Let's listen to Prime Minister's questions. Here's Keir Starmer at risk and profit from their misery. They must be broken up and brought to justice. Mr Speaker, tomorrow will be the first ever nationwide nurses strike. All the Prime Minister has to do to stop that is to open the door and discuss pay with them. If he did, the whole country would breathe a sigh of relief. Why won't he? Prime Minister. 
Well, Mr Speaker, we, we have consistently spoken to all the unions involved in all the pay disputes that there are. But I am, I am glad he's raised our nurses because they do do incredible work. And it's worth putting on record. It's worth putting on record what exactly we have done for our nurses. Last year, last year when the rest last year when everyone else in the public sector had a public sector pay freeze, the nurses received a 3% pay rise. When the RCN asked for more in-work training, we gave every nurse and midwife a £1,000 training budget. And when they asked for nurses' bursaries, we made sure that every nursing student received a £5,000 grant. That's because we do work constructively and we will continue to back our nurses. Mr Speaker, nurses going on strike is a badge of shame for this government. Instead of showing leadership, he's playing games with people's health. And there is a human cost. Alex from Chester has been waiting for a gallbladder operation for nearly six months. He's in so much pain, he's been off school since then. His operation has already been cancelled twice. His mum, who I spoke to this morning, is worried sick. When she heard that strikes could be called off, she was massively relieved. She's desperate for the Prime Minister to resolve this. All he needs to do is simply meet the nurses. Now, Alex's mum is listening to this. She doesn't want to hear him blaming everybody else. She doesn't want his usual ducking of the question. She's tuned in now because she wants him to explain what is he going to do to resolve the nursing strike. Well, Mr Speaker, it's not just Alex. There are millions of others across this country. Alex and Mark. Millions of others. Millions of others who will have their health care disrupted because of the strike. Now, the Honourable Gentleman says to get round the table, but we all know what that means, Mr Speaker. That is just simply a political formula for avoiding taking a position on this issue. If he, if he, thinks, if he thinks the strikes are wrong, he should say so. If he thinks it's right, if he thinks it's right that pay demands of 19% are met, then he should say so. What's, what's weak, Mr Speaker, is he's not strong enough to stand up to the union. Mr Speaker, we know it's Christmas, but the party's not started yet. Come on, kids. Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker, in, in 12 hours' time, there's a nurses' strike. All he needs to do is meet the nurses. His inaction speaks volumes. As ever with this Prime Minister, it's Tory politics first, patients second. We've never seen a nurses' strike like this before. They've been forced into it because the government has broken the health system. Ask anyone in the NHS. They will tell you they don't have enough staff. 133,000 vacancies. And there's an obvious solution. Scrap the non-DOM status and use the money to bring through the next generation of doctors and nurses. That's what Labour would do. Why hasn't he got the guts to do it? Mr Speaker, we're already investing billions more in the NHS. We're already hiring thousands more doctors and nurses. 
but look, he asked. He asked. He asked about backlog. He asked about backlogs and the waiting times in the NHS. And yes, what he always fails to acknowledge is the impact that COVID did, Mr. Speaker. That's why we're facing pressures. But we do have a plan. Not just more money. Not just more doctors and nurses. New diagnostic centres carrying out millions of checks and scans. New surgical hubs delivering more elective surgery. But we'd, if, if we'd listened to him, Mr. Speaker, the backlog would still be growing, and that's because we'd still be in lockdown. As usual, Mr. Speaker, he tries to blame everyone else. His department. His department commissioned a report into the NHS which reported on Monday. That report said we've had 10 years of managed decline. It was not COVID. Responsibility is sitting right there. And the reason he can't choose nurses over non-DOMs is because he's too weak to stand up for the tax avoiders. For 12 years, they haven't trained enough doctors and nurses. So we have the absurd situation of the NHS spending billions on agency workers to fill the gap. Why should the country have to put up with money that should be spent treating patients being wasted, plugging gaps instead? Mr Speaker, let me tell the Honourable Gentleman what we are doing. We are actually listening to the independent pay review bodies. They want to undermine them. We've offered a fair pay deal. They can't even decide on a number amongst themselves. We're actually protecting the public. They're protecting their paymasters, Mr Speaker. For working people in this country, for working people in this country, it's Labour's nightmare before Christmas. There he goes again, pretending everything is fine. Try telling that to those on waiting lists or those that can't afford to pay for a next-day GP appointment. After 12 years of Tory failure, winter has arrived for our public services, and we've got a Prime Minister who has curled up in a ball and gone into hibernation. If, If he can't act on behalf of patients or nurses or everyone who wants these strikes called off, then surely the whole country is entitled to ask, what is the point of him and what is the point of the government he's supposed to be leading? Mr Speaker, he talks about COVID not having an impact. Ambulance waiting times for Category 1. Category 1 ambulance waiting times in February of 2020 were actually completely on target, Mr Speaker. COVID has had an impact. And that's why, that's why, that's why, as... As the Chief Executive of the NHS has acknowledged, this government is serious about its commitment to prioritise the NHS. But, Mr Speaker, let's just have a look at the NHS in Labour-run Wales, shall we? The worst A&E times in the country, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, under the last Labour government, we had fair pay for nurses and no strikes. So I won't won't be taking lectures from him about that. Order, order, order. Mr Bowie, you promised to behave. Don't give me a Christmas present you won't want. Come on, kiss down. Mr Speaker, this is our final PMQs of the year. So I hope you will part... Oh, really? I hope you will... (laughs) 
Uh, Mr Speaker, what I was going to say was I hope you will pass on all of our thanks, at least on this side, to all those who kept our House and our democracy working. Yeah. And I want to finish this year thinking about our friends in Ukraine. As a result of Putin's barbaric assault on their freedom, millions will spend Christmas in sub-zero temperatures without heating, electricity or hot water. Their suffering is unimaginable, but their bravery is awe-inspiring. So will the Prime Minister join me in saying that whatever other difficulties and disagreements we have across this dispatch box, we are and will remain united in our unwavering support for Ukraine's freedom, its liberty and its victory. Well, Mr Speaker, can I join with the Honourable Gentleman in thanking and paying tribute to all the staff of the House for the fantastic work that they do to support all of us. Uh, And I appreciate his comments on Ukraine. It has been a point of incredible unity across this House and indeed the country, something that we can all be proud of in our country, that we have stood behind Ukraine at its hour of need. And as I said yesterday, this Christmas, many families will be laying an extra place at their Christmas table. And that speaks to the generosity and compassion of our nation. And long may that continue. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, The A3 connects London to Portsmouth through Guildford, and I was delighted to see the new Solent Freeport announced last week, which will increase traffic flows. As the A3 narrows through Guildford, it is sadly the most polluted road in the strategic road network. Short-term sticking plasters like putting up nine-metre-high air pollution barriers that will entrench divisions in Guildford is not acceptable to me or my constituents. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it is time to think big, it is time to think long-term, and it is time to tunnel the A3 under Guildford? Prime Minister. Well, I I thank my uh, my honourable friend for the question. I know this is an issue that she has long championed. I am told that national highways are developing a range of different possibilities uh, and solutions for the A3 through Guildford, and I know the Department for Transport will consider the case as it plans its future infrastructure investments. SMP leader Stephen Flynn. (laughs) I wish to join with the Prime Minister and the Leader of Opposition in extending my party's thoughts to all of those involved in the terrible tragedy in the Channel this morning. Mr Speaker, thanks to positive and proactive negotiations between the Scottish Government and Unite and Unison Health Unions, a pay settlement has been reached and strike action averted. By stark contrast, the UK Health Secretary appears completely unwilling to negotiate with unions on pay and strike action is very much still on the table. So may I ask the Prime Minister, when will he see the error of his ways and follow the Scottish Government's lead? Mr Speaker, I'm I'm glad the UK Government was able to provide £1.5 billion in extra funding uh, to the Scottish Government for public services. Uh, And uh, the, the Health Secretary and other ministers have engaged fully, not just with the unions, but with an independent pay-setting process, which takes the politics out of the process and ensures that we can meet those independent requirements with a fair pay deal. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, let's be clear, those words will ring hollow in the ears of those people who, unlike the Prime Minister, can't end up into Waitrose for their shopping, nor indeed even turn on their heating at this moment in time. And that's particularly true for people in Scotland, because as we know, average energy bills in Scotland are not anticipated to be £2,500 per year. They're expected to be £3,300 per year. People are genuinely 
terrified. And that's despite the fact that Scotland produces six times more gas than we consume, with some 80% of our electricity coming from low-carbon sources. Decades of failed UK energy and regulatory policy coming home to roost. Is it not the case that Scotland has the energy? We just need the power. Well, 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 Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm glad the Honourable Gentleman raised the question of energy support. And it's because of the actions of this government that we are providing every household in this country with around £900 of support with their energy bills this winter, £55 billion worth of support. And on top of that, next year, there will be extra cost of living payments worth up to £1,200 for the most vulnerable, whether that's those on means-tested benefits, pensioners or indeed disabled. This is a government that will always look after the most vulnerable in our society. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. That was the Prime Minister responding there to questions from the SNP leader in Westminster, Stephen Flynn. Before that, we heard a question uh, from the Guildford MP, Angela Richardson, about a local issue and, of course, the exchange uh, with Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer in attack mode, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Prime Minister's question is almost entirely focused on the nurses' strike that we've been talking about beforehand. Um, got definitely, you know, some some good lines in there from Keir Starmer saying nurses going on strike was a badge of shame for Rishi Sunak. Why hasn't he got the guts to do something about the problems of the health service and that um, that the Prime Minister had curled up in a ball and gone into hibernation? What is the point of him? Yeah, I thought Kirstama was on very good form today. I think that's probably his best performance uh, against Rishi Sunak that I remember. I thought last time it was pretty much a score draw and they both seemed to get some good points. Some of them, uh, some of the things are falling a bit flat. But I thought Keir Starmer really kind of rammed it home this time. And I thought that uh, Rishi Sunak didn't really kind of get to grips uh, with any of his questions. Starmer saying that they've given uh, a bigger pay rise to nurses last year, 3% when most public sector workers got virtually nothing. A £1,000 training for every nurse. So he was making the point that uh, the government is trying to do its best with nurses. Also, uh, in the second question, saying, uh, does the Labour leader back a 19% pay demand uh, from nurses, which of course is a tricky question for the Labour leader because uh, inevitably a Labour government would not be able to give a 19% pay rise to nurses either. But I think, yeah, Keir Starmer uh, really effective on this and he took five questions uh, to talk about the NHS uh, and nursing and then just a final uh, conciliatory one on uh, on Ukraine. Yeah, an interesting way to perhaps diffuse that exchange towards the end between the leader of the opposition and the Prime Minister. Uh, interesting to hear Rishi Sunak's attacks uh, on Labour saying they're protecting their paymasters, the unions he was uh, referring to and saying that for working people it was Labour's nightmare before Christmas just didn't seem to land in the same way and I think that this is you know, such an emotive issue because the NHS of course so uh, politically
politically important here, but also the the fact that there anyone who has interacted with the health system knows the pressure that it's been under and Rishi Sunak saying that it was because of COVID but uh, Keir Starmer making reference uh, to that report uh, that was commissioned by the government from the King's Fund Health Think Tank uh, talking about a decade of neglect for the past 10 years for the NHS that's something that was commissioned by the Department of Health and Social Care late last year to look into the the challenges facing the NHS Um, that report um, being reported first by the Guardian newspaper yesterday Yeah, Starmer making the point that there are simply not enough NHS staff. He says there are 133,000 staff vacancies at the moment. Of course, the NHS is an enormous employer. And Starmer making the point that Labour would scrap non-DOM status. This is, uh, I've seen them try to make this point before. So it's uh, trying to juxtaposition uh, uh, the tax status of a number of rich individuals in the country uh, with problems in the NHS, saying they would take the money from that and spend it on the health service. Rishi Sunak saying that they're already investing uh, billions. And then, as you say, trying to pivot uh, to COVID, saying that uh, we'd still be in lockdown under Keir Starmer, trying to uh, uh, bring up that uh, what he perceives as uh, the Labour leader's weakness on his response uh, to the, the, the to the pandemic. Yeah, now that's, of course, just one major political story that we've been following. Another is linked to the latest economic data we got here in the UK, which was to do with inflation, uh, showing that the pace of inflation did slow down in the latest figures in November, but just to 10.7% is still eye-wateringly high for anyone looking at the cost of living. Um, A group of MPs, though, are more worried about benefits than strikes. The Treasury Select Committee are saying that people are being put off returning to work because of the government's cost of living energy support payment limits. Yeah, earlier today, Lizzie Burden and Tom McKenzie sat down with the chair of the committee, Harriet Baldwin. Well, thanks, Lizzie, for having me on. And uh, this report that we've published today is a, is a cross-party report, and I think that makes it, you know, even more impactful. We, we welcome the fact that the Chancellor announced cost-of-living help for households, um, and he has extended that to next winter as well. So what we're saying is that the help that he's announced will be focused on those who are on means-tested benefits. They will get £900 next winter to help them with their energy bills. Now, the problem with it, as far as our committee is concerned, is that if you are on means-tested benefits plus £1 of earnings, you will not get this £900. So it's what we call a cliff edge. And we're saying that that could potentially start distorting uh, the labour market as people realise that, you know, it's not worth them taking on an extra hour of work. So what we're suggesting to the government is that they smooth that cliff edge by spreading the payments out into six payments over the winter. And that that will mean that, for example, if you're made redundant just one day too late to benefit for the, from the £900, you would capture... Uh, some of it um, because you would be um, uh, back on means-tested benefits for uh, an additional period. So it's it's something we think is potentially distorting behaviour in terms of people taking on uh, work. And you're absolutely right that in my constituency, I do do hear from my employers um, how difficult it is for them to find staff at the moment. And that that's part of the broader conundrum for the UK labour market is the is the lack of the, the falling participation rate. How to encourage more workers back into the workforce? So your prescription is aimed at partially at least tackling that. How entrenched is that problem? How unique it is is it to the UK? And what other policy measures should officials and lawmakers and the government be looking at to address that participation rate failure? Yeah, well, I mean, we've actually had a really good labour market story over the last decade here in the UK. And I think one of the things that's contributed to that has been the rollout of universal 
credit, which was something that sort of was uh, thought up under the previous Labour government and then implemented uh, during uh, the last decade by uh, the Conservative coalition and then the Conservative uh, government. And it basically smoothed those cliff edges. It meant that for every hour of extra work that you did, uh, you received more pay. And uh, it's been really helpful in increasing participation. But then when the pandemic struck, uh, there was obviously money just paid uh, to people on means-tested benefits. And now it looks as though it's becoming more entrenched in the way that we're tackling those in lower-income households. And I think what our committee is highlighting is that this could undermine the, that decade worth of work in terms of making work pay. And we need to make sure that we're vigilant and um, not creating sort of behavioural uh, signals that cause people to find themselves better off on benefits than in work. And Harriet, we've just ended a particularly bleak chapter of UK economic history. The IMF didn't hold back from criticising the mini-budget, but we haven't heard much of the IMF's views on Jeremy Hunt's fiscal statement. Is it time for the IMF to pipe up again? Well, thank you. Thank you, Lizzie. I would love to have the IMF come and talk to our committee about what they think about the Jeremy Hunt autumn statement. We've invited them to come. Uh, they have refused to uh, give us evidence in, in public. Uh, they have uh, put out, Kristalina um, uh, Georgieva put out one one tweet in support of the measures that Jeremy Hunt put into the autumn statement. But I'd love to put out the invitation via your august uh, news organisation to um, invite the IMS to give us uh, in, uh, their evidence on the record about uh, what the uh, what the Chancellor has done, the current Chancellor has done to uh, put back um, some of those problems that they were highlighting uh, from the previous Chancellor. Just before we, uh, uh, shifting slightly, because the big story, another big story of today is what's happening in the crypto space, the fallout of FTX, of course, and the legal ramifications of Sam Bankman-Fried. I just wonder, as you sit there on that committee, whether you really would love to see more powers given handed over to you to kind of address uh, clearly the risks within this sector, to give you more power to probe uh, a number of these companies that, of course, operate as well uh, here in the UK. You know, it's, it's fortunate that we do have actually an open inquiry on uh, crypto uh, at the moment. So it's turned out to be very topical, uh, the timing. And we're hoping to pull our report together and uh, and get that out in early next year. And um, hopefully you'll have us back on the programme when we've uh, come to a cross-party conclusion on those powers. But do you, do you need greater powers? Well, I think, uh, as you can see, um, the, the, there are a, a lot of, in my opinion... Um, issues in terms of the 2.3 million people here in the UK who have reportedly now um, bought some crypto. And uh, we've had some fascinating evidence over the course of this inquiry, particularly um, from those who've highlighted some of the ways football clubs are using sort of promotions to try and lure people into uh, buying their particular token. And so I think it is a very, very timely uh, report. Um, we are taking some very interesting evidence and no doubt will come to a newsworthy uh, view when we, when we report in the new year. OK, so that was Harriet Baldwin, chairperson of the Treasury Select Committee, speaking to Tom McKenzie and Lizzie Burden. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you usually listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and Marufal Hussain was on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. 
Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.